If you're vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. We are the brothers, both DMs and players. I'm the one who grasps your mind with tendrils of drama and intrigue, Travis. And I'm the one who chips away at your sanity with loathsome ramblings, Jordan. Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. Manipulating your squishy brain with tendrils reaching from aeons past for incredible games. So today's episode is all about one of our favorite monsters. And somewhat the in, aspect. the eternal ones, Travis the slimy ones, the ones the that take a lot of cues from Lovecraftian lore, Avalis. Weekly for the wretched delight of those he considered friends. Every time he summoned these blasphemous imaginings, he drove his own mind farther from the safe shores of the reality of which we are aware. A journey that would ultimately lead to his own doom and deeper into the accursed depths of which few ever find their way out. You done? <laughs> For now. So when I first used an abolith, I saw a neat stat Obscene <laughs> figures clawed their way to the forefront of his perception, and he saw no way to wrest control back from them. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, thank you for that interlude. I'm just getting us into the theme. <laughs> Into the uh, right emotional state to continue this episode. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm already maddened. I'm already <laughs> good. Uh, so yeah, going back, I saw a really cool stat block when I first used an abolith, and I hadn't fully wrapped my brain around them, and consequently, I misused them. Didn't play out very well. They were just kind of like a I don't know. They just had different abilities, and their abilities at first glance are very melee. Yeah. Like, all they've got under attacks is a couple of tentacle slaps. Yeah. These creatures are really freaking cool. And now that we write dramatic arcs and foreshadowing and character journeys into our games, we tend to do a little bit more upfront legwork with some of the monsters that we use and things like that. And when you really do that, you gain a better appreciation for the Avalith from a player perspective and also from a DM perspective. Yeah, they're so deep, they can be even a warlock patron if you wanted them to be. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they have such rich history and they just have this otherworldly air to them that they can either be just a water monster or they can be truly terrifying yes like otherworldly terrifying and we're going to get into that in great detail i discourage the use of them as a water monster <laughs> so what about abolis like let's let's kind of recap what abolis are for those that might not know so they're immortal that's pretty significant they don't die except from, you know, being killed. Yeah. And when they do die, their bodies reconstitute on the elemental plane of water and they come on back. So, yeah, they're just, they're unkillable, really. Yeah. Like you might kill them, but as a DM, you could use them later on down the line or whatever you want. And it's the same one. Yeah. They've got perfect species memory. So when an abolith is born, it retains all of the memories of its ancestors and all of the creatures that its ancestors have consumed because they also 
take your memories when they eat you. Well, and Aboliths have a real chip on their shoulder because in Forgotten Realms lore, they preceded the gods and the gods deposed them. And so they're just angry. Yeah, so the gods kicked them down to the bottoms of the oceans and now they really don't like gods or the people that worship gods or anything lesser than them or anything. And pretty much everything is lesser than them in their eyes. Yeah, even things that are physically more powerful. Yeah. They have psionic powers. They can read your thoughts. And when they communicate telepathically with you, they know your desires. They can enslave your brain like they can just take over yeah which uh kind of sucks to be (laughs) to be put in that situation and then there's slimy powers for when they slap you with their tentacles they actually can infect you with a disease that makes you only able to breathe water and turns your skin into what you breathe through a slimy membrane your lungs no longer work and you can only breathe underwater and that really helps them to be like Hey, you work for me now because you can't even leave the water. So that's them in a nutshell. There's a lot of different videos that people have made that go into a lot more depth in their lore and abilities if you're looking for that. But we wanted to get more into how to play Aboliths. So we're going to start off with an Archives of the Ancients. And we're going to look at the inspiration and themes behind these creatures, including Lovecraftian roots, uh, the deep sea, and mind control. Then we're going into Morden's Forge, where we're going to introduce a couple tools that we came up with to help add depth to an Abolith encounter. And then we're going to wrap up with a kinship camp, where we're just going to discuss some of the concepts for role-playing these ancient monstrosities. Because the options are as endless as their memories. Deep. <laughs> Thoughtful. All right, let's dive into the fringes of the universe of Aboliths. This is the Archives of the Ancients, where knowledge is unearthed to add wild insights to our world. Okay, so the first thing we're going to talk about with Aboliths is their fictional roots, which is cosmic horror. So what is, yeah, like cosmic horror, what does that really mean? Well, H.P. Lovecraft had a huge part in creating it. He basically did. There were definitely other influences, but people definitely attribute it to Lovecraft. And Aboliths are based on a creation of his called Elder Things. And they first showed up in his story at the Mountains of Madness, which I recently read for the first time. His writing style is very scientific and intense, but there's a lot of great descriptions in there. And the reason understanding cosmic horror is important is it does help DMs write stories. It helps DMs kind of really, truly grasp the depth of wild, crazy shit that cosmic horror really, like, it gets down to the roots of some very deep-rooted human instinctual fears. Fears, Yeah. yeah. Like, just the fear of the unknown is deeply ingrained in some of this. And I think for, yeah, for like you were saying before, for the warlock in the party that is worshiping the great old one, we often don't really consider how wild that really is as a player. And how much they'd be grappling with their connection and their... Yeah, like we picture this great old one is like, oh yeah, I just worship this thing that's always been and and will forever be. And it's like, it's... No big deal. But it's like, yeah, no, no, it's a big deal. Like, your character would be wrestling with this and very troubled all the time as to where 
and what its powers came from. Arguably, a devil is a lot easier to grasp. <laughs> I know what a devil wants. I know what a devil wants, but the great old one, there's no telling. Yeah. And I mean, there's a lot of other characters that can dabble in this kind of stuff with their backgrounds or their abilities as well. Doesn't all end with the warlock. Yeah. And that terrifying nature of the unknown is one of the core themes of cosmic horror. And when you consider the themes of it, it's a lot easier to incorporate it without worrying about each little detail. Totally. Yeah. And cosmic horror also deals with the insignificance of how little roles we actually have. Like it very much treats humanity as completely inconsequential on the cosmic scale. Yeah. And that is kind of the crux of how most of the characters in these kinds of stories are kind of dealing with basically the fallout. Like, yeah, the story is centered around the character, but the events that are unfolding around that character, they have no control in, they wrestle with it. And that's kind of where all of this unsettling feeling comes from when you're dealing with cosmic horror. And it's the fallout of not specific interaction with these cosmic entities the entities are just passing through most of the time yeah they have no interest in what humans do whereas a character that worships a god the god might interact with them in some more meaningful way yeah but when you're worshiping a great old one it's not even aware that you're tapping into its power yeah that's a good point like it could not even perceive that and if it does if it does in fact perceive you as a person as an entity you're so inconsequential to it that you might as well just be a fly on the wall your bacteria yeah these stories also deal with just the vastness of the universe which is kind of rolled in with that the unreliability of our minds that's a big one when you can't perceive the vastness of space and time and cosmic entities, that makes our brains really unreliable, like you said, to perceive all of these different pieces moving. And there's a really cool quote from H.P. Lovecraft that kind of wraps up all of these themes that we've been talking about, which is, One of my strongest and most persistent wishes is to achieve, momentarily, the illusion of some strange suspension or violation of the galling limitations of time, space, and natural law which forever imprison us and frustrate our curiosity about the infinite cosmic spaces beyond the radius of our sight and analysis. Wow. So you're just talking about how much is out there and how much we can't comprehend it. Yeah, that builds the tension and unease in storytelling of just, yeah, not having control, not being able to rely on your senses, not being able to rely on your own brain, not being in control. I it love, just I love that, that summing it up. That's a great point because a lack of control is so uncomfortable for most people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Something to work into these stories as well is unanswered questions like you're just leaving clues some clues matter others can't matter to what you're worried about that can be really challenging for a DD party because unanswered questions like if you put time and effort into leaving a clue it likely matters yeah. and there's like that unwritten rule or that unwritten expectation of oh, the DM put effort into it. Therefore, I should probably write this down or I should probably take note or this matters to the story. Follow up. Follow up. But when stuff is just happening and it doesn't, it, like it seems significant, but it has none. At like, least to you, yeah. Yeah, that can have some real unsettling 
results. So let's talk about some other places that we can gather some grit or some realism and add that to aboleths. Okay, so space is vast. The next vast and unknowable place to humans is the deep, dark, spooky sea. So that's probably why there's a lot of the Lovecraftian horror deals with tentacles and sea, like they're always seaside towns and there's a lot of that that element yeah in his his writing that is all sea based because i'm sure at the time as well as still today like we know jack shit about the ocean really yeah and what's down there so and every time we do discover something new it's mind-boggling and terrifying (laughs) (laughs) pretty much like oh this one has eighty thousand teeth yeah, makes sense. Why not? Because the, down in the oceans, there are no rules. Yeah. This we one, understand what's on the land. This one uh, lures in prey with a light on its head and <laughs> consumes anything that gets in front of it. Right? Neat. And shit was always washing up on shore, too. So I'm sure that like we just couldn't explain. Or fish and all kinds of wild creatures from the deep would wash up. And I'm sure that's where a lot of those themes kind of come from, too. Just that humbling feeling of, I know jack shit, really. Like, once I let the ego go, yeah, there's so much out there that we just can't comprehend. And so, yeah, deep sea creatures and Lovecraftian lore are kind of inextricably tied. Best friends. <laughs> Best friends forever. <laughs> and, yeah, so... We do know quite a bit more now, so there's countless terrifying creatures that you could draw inspiration from for your abolith. Just a quick Google search will pretty much do it. Yeah. Weird sea creatures, but... I just wanted to give at least one example. Yeah. Uh, So the one that I found pretty, pretty wild was the barrel eyes fish. So these fish have eyes that are almost in the center of their head, these big orbs. And they can see because their head is translucent. Do the eyes look in different directions or do they just perceive? They do look around straight up or straight forward (laughs) or maybe to the sides. I didn't test. Oh, my God. But they've got these little openings in the front of their head that look like eyes, but they're actually more resembling nostrils. So their eyes, yeah, they don't have any outlet for their eyes. It's just in there and they look around. So... I was thinking aboliths, they have these three eyes in a vertical row on their heads. Yeah. And I was thinking it would be cool if they worked independently from one another. So if you are in front of an abolith Mm -hmm. and you want to try and like scope around the side or something like that, it's got a very high perception. So if it is aware of where you are, it's tracking your movement with one of its eyes. And you know this because it's it can see through its entire body when it wants to. Maybe Ugh. maybe its skin is... It can control where its skin is actually translucent, so it can see through certain parts. Yeah. It's almost like a beam is... A translucent beam is being projected from its eye while it's watching you. That could be kind of spooky. Yeah, that's, uh, that's nasty AF. And so much of what the Abolith can do is centered around its mind control abilities. Yeah. And seeing as how they're so intelligent they would probably be able to identify the mind that they're dealing with. Well, that would probably also add to their really high perception, is that they can 
just sense the minds near them. Yeah, with their mental probing. Yeah. And they probably break down brains and attack them lobe by lobe. So when they're enslaving a humanoid, you could, as a DM, break it down and make it a little bit more of a descent into that. Oh, yeah. Into the just the way that they're basically compartmentalizing your brain so that they can more easily take it over section by section. Yeah. Cool. And I think that creates that suspense for the characters as well. Oh, yeah, totally. Like, you can just feel it moving through your brain and just <laughs> shutting down certain areas. And causing certain areas to be unreliable to you. Oh, man. So if you look at the four most prominent lobes of the brain, and again, my pronunciation might be off, but you've got the occipital lobe, which generally covers visual input. The temporal lobe covers auditory. Parietal lobe covers touch. And the frontal lobe, which covers your reasoning. Jeez. That's the worst. Yeah. <laughs> So is that the last stage? Like yeah. your body starts betraying you while your brain can still kind of figure stuff out? Yeah. Like and then you lose it. You're still aware that you're being influenced until that last stage, and mm -hmm. then you're under its control. I hate that so deeply. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, so you could work through, like the abolith, when it does take over your brain and use its primary attack... That's the crux of what we're talking about right now, because if you look at the Abolus stat block, it's slap, 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 tentacle attack, whereas that's not really what it's best at. Like, it mind controls stuff, so that's its bread and butter. Why would it slap you with a tentacle <laughs> when it can just take over your brain and say, no, you're not an enemy anymore? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, really, any kind of tentacle attack would be a last resort. It's going to take over people's brains. Which the Abolith can do three times a day. So it might not be able to take your whole party, but once it's turned half your party, yeah. you're kind of squabbling between yourselves at that point. Yeah, really. Like, you're more tied up trying to figure out how to help your friends and not kill them when they're trying to kill you, if they're really trying to attack. But even so, like, would some of the other characters in the party even realize that their friends are being influenced. So if you're in the middle of some kind of reasoning or bargaining or discussion with an Abolith, all of a sudden your trusted friends are very subtly arguing on behalf of the Abolith. Yeah, and I mean, if it's doing this and it targets one, then two, then three of you, then like the only person that's not affected is just like, what's happening around me? Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, you can stretch it out as little or as much as you want with each of those stages of hallucinations that you could be experiencing. As it takes over your brain. Yeah. So you go through visual, auditory, things that you're feeling, and finally you're just under its sway. You can't do anything on your own anymore. Yeah. And that's that's that lack of control. Like That's where we can really drive home some of the horror that comes from these creatures yeah. it's just the you're not in control you're against something that is wholly alien and is just hard to understand perceive the motivations of like it's just so far out of the realm of conceptualizing what it wants when you're fighting an owl bear 
that's pretty straightforward. That's it just was the bare necessities, <laughs> Mother Nature's recipes. Uh, <laughs> it absolutely does, and the owl recipes as well. <laughs> Are the owl necessities? I like owl recipes. I want some of those owl recipes. God damn it! <laughs> okay, so let's get into some tools that can help in Morden's Forge. This is Morden's Forge where raw materials are reshaped, honed into tools and weapons with the most incredible quests. So for this Morden's Forge, what we've done is we've gone ahead and we've made a table that will allow for an abolith or similar creature. I'm sure you could use this for other creatures as well, but it works really well for aboliths. Sure. And the whole mind control stages. So what we've done is we've made a table that is an alternative to that kind of instant mind control. The challenge with that... On-off switch. Yeah, Mm -hmm. is that on-off switch. is is just It's telling your players that they're no longer in control of themselves feels really jarring sometimes. And it's just like, okay, well, now my character's under DM control. There's not much I can do with that. I guess I'll just sit back and browse Reddit or something while the game's (laughs) going on because I'm no longer playing my character. But if the mind control takes place in smaller stages then there's still fun to be had and there's still kind of like a wrestling that's going on and reactions that you can have as a player absolutely to to what's happening to your body at that time so we made a table that allows a person to fail by a certain amount and either jump straight to it or let it happen gradually so the first stage the if you do quite well at your saving throw, but you don't quite beat it, then you're going to have those visual hallucinations in the occipital lobe. And in our table, we kind of just give some examples of different hallucinations that you can either describe word for word or build off of, kind of just to give you lots of content and ideas. And these ones, I actually took a lot of inspiration from the far realm, which is where a lot of these aberration creatures are from. These ones that are inspired by cosmic horror. And Dungeons and Dragons has done a pretty cool job at creating this weird place. An example would be, you see layers of reality separating, filling with a white milky substance and breathing back together. Ugh, layers of reality. <laughs> Interpret that as you will. <laughs> <laughs> like, the, uh, like the frosting between the layers of a cake. Mmm. <laughs> Uh, yeah, like some of the other ones, I think some of the descriptions can be very largely inspired by whatever events are around the character at the time. Heck yeah. But... And even near-death experiences that that character's had, or... Yeah, really build off of what's happening. You could also just describe how horrifying changes are happening around. So, I liked one that you wrote in here. You see a being with eight legs shaped like human arms and a thrashing stinger for a head. When your other party members start taking on maybe even uh, aspects of the Aboleth, like say grows a a third eye and all of a sudden has like so many other tentacles. Starts becoming, it starts melting together. Yeah. There's low level and then there's high level hallucinations and you can get as weird as you want because that far realm where you're taking a lot of this inspiration from is really fucking weird. Mm -hmm. You could describe whatever you want. (laughs) 
just it's a little easier to have a little inspiration sometimes. So the second stage, when you don't quite make that save as well as, as you could, we're entering the temporal lobe, which handles auditory input. You can whisper their secrets or other characters' secrets because this Aboleth has already invaded their mind, again, drawing from a lot of these character experiences. But a specific example would be a din of laughter keeps slowing down and speeding up and it is occasionally replaced by screams of people that you recognize. Good God. Ugh. <laughs> oh, that that kicked it up a notch. Hey, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't have to use the whole thing if you don't want. That's horrifying. Your specific way that you DM and describe things lends itself so well to describing this cosmic horror nonsense. It's an extra level removed from reality, which is kind of a wavelength that you constantly operate on as a person, but... I think that's why I get drunk so easy, because I'm on the verge of it all the time. <laughs> You're on the verge of nonsense already. And third, you get into the parietal lobe, which is touch. There's a lot of options there. Yeah, so how would you do that? Like, what would you feel as it kind of takes over that hemisphere of your brain? You've got... I don't know, like, what are those unsettling kind of cosmic feelings? Well, I think I think unsettling is the word to focus on there. And there's so many things that fall in that category, like spider webs being thrown at you in sheets. Ugh. Or feeling as though your whole body is just covered in tree sap. Like sticky. Yeah. Yeah. Uncomfortable feelings. Oh, I got one. The feeling of like large hair, like you can't see them, but you can feel them large hairs bursting out of your skin oh. like you can just feel those coming out and you're like you don't know why why do i know what that feels like i know right <laughs> it's upsetting or just more um feelings that are more just inconsistencies like for example the feeling of if you're walking towards a party member or something every step you take feels like the top step oh yeah of a of stairs that you think is there but it's not yeah totally like that <laughs> like, you're, like you're just lurching that stumbling kind of like uh yeah it's it's an upsetting feeling because you were anticipating something that isn't yeah i wonder if that would cover kind of the feelings of loss and tragedy as well like yeah we're talking about more like actual physical touch but also emotional states mm. so i wonder if you could if that abolith would just attack this, like to break you down, would just attack a feeling of loss. Like, you know, consciously, your entire family isn't gone, but you feel the loss of all of their deaths at the same time. Oh, man. Wow. Like, that's powerful stuff. That would destroy your character in an instant as it takes over your reasoning and your rationale in that frontal lobe that final stage yeah that's where those two lines are kind of blending together yeah yeah throwing those heavy emotions at the characters too just so the players can respond and, and develop their characters through that yeah and of course you can get into more abstract reasoning disconnects some that can be more tense like your allies have all been turned against you you feel your allies turning towards you and staring at you and with this final lobe you can also use all the other ones to inform it like your party turns to you and glares at you with dark deep eyes and you feel like they're about to lunge at you because you yeah you have all of those other faculties taken over so now it's a full and complete brain takeover yeah so you could immediately get the sense that 
you were dreaming or that like none of this is actually reality. Therefore, nothing you do has any consequence or or like it's the idea that you're outside of reality. Yeah. And you're trying to grasp that. You're not really. <laughs> so now all of a sudden there's just one character, one player character that is acting completely irrationally as if there is no consequence to what they're doing. So maybe some of those things that they've wanted to do are coming out. Oh, God. I don't oh, want to, no. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There's just there's so much richness there that does have to be thought of at the time. Like, it does have to be planned ahead of time, just because to make this truly meaningful, it has to apply to the characters. So whether or not this is something that a player who, say, worships the Great Old One, or something like it, or has some kind of tie to it, they definitely, this has to be considered ahead of time. How does your character react to the mind controller, the influence that just totally exists out of time and space? And then from a DM's perspective, how are you going to affect your characters on a fundamentally upsetting way? Like, how are you going to attack? And this is where, like, knowing character backstories comes into play and really being able to dig at what matters to them on a personal level. Back to being a player, how your character is going to carry this experience with them if they do survive. True. How is this going to change their perception of reality and all the influence that they actually have. If you actually came face to face with an Abolith and was attacked mentally like this, imagine how little stock you would put in your own senses from that day forward. Yeah. Or what the purpose of any of it is. When you actually come to wrestle with the with the reality of what the Abolith knows, that it has been there forever and that all of your rationale and all of your reasoning, and all of your motivations, and all of the kings and queens, and the falls and declines of the money, all of it means so little in that grand cosmic sense. And yeah, you would, your character would be different forevermore, Mm -hmm. at least least in some small way. It might be a fun journey getting back to the way your character was in some way too. Yeah, well, that's that character journey, the ups and downs, those dramatic arcs. So use it. Use it. All right, let's move on to Kinship Camp. This is Kinship Camp, where rich histories and diverse quirks are explored between weary adventures around the safety of the fire. All right, so let's talk about some ways to actually roleplay an Ableth's mindset and perspective and how to respond to it as a player. There is so frickin' much to unpack here. Correct. Where do we start? Well, I'd like to do 16 episodes about it, but... (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) We might as well at this point. We'll start with its goals, and that's too vast to even cover a lot of examples of. Well, and I think that's the whole point, is that, like, the Abolith doesn't care about your goals, and its goals are so far beyond the comprehension that you're capable of What you're dealing with is maybe such a tiny part of its goal, but to you, you're stopping it from doing something bad here now. So in that sense, its goals could be pretty understandable, but only as a part of the whole. Yeah, so it could have reasonable, like it it knows it has to communicate its goals to you, good or bad or somewhere in between, in ways that you would understand. So 
in that way, their goals might seem really inconsequential and not even necessarily threatening. It could have requested of you something pretty simple, but it's like, what does this have to do with anything? But its goals are on such a long timeline that you would never be able to put it all together. Yeah, exactly. And then you start uncovering the dark ways in which it's reaching its goals and you might want to stop it at that point. Yeah. But what I'm really excited about with Abolith Adventures is the build-up to the final encounter with the Abolith. They make such good bosses. Mm, yeah. Because of all the dark foreshadowing and just the creepiness that you can include in their lair and the journey to meet them. A lot of their goals and their desires can have this like upsetting detachment from reason and rationale and morality like they exist outside of morality as well absolutely because it would call for things that might seem totally inhumane in just ways that it's like why why would i care yeah like i'm so far removed from whatever bullshit you care about good or bad doesn't matter and it might ask totally horrifying things of you in such a way that like somebody might say hey can you grab me a can you grab me a coke from the corner store like it's just (laughs) it's just so yeah sure whatever can you murder this down yeah can you please do that for me just a quick favor to them it's quick to you it's (laughs) (laughs) so with all of this you kind of have to approach it from the sense i think the best way to maybe put it is imagine having a conversation with an aphid in a potted plant in your house. If that aphid could speak and started telling you about all of the things and the troubles in the aphid world of this one plant to say, hey, you know what? We're dealing with this and that. You are actually interfering. You seem like the big bad because you come over with those clippers and you like (laughs) take off a leaf. And this has huge, vast, far-reaching implications in our world. And you as a person looking at this potted plant with an aphid on it would go, yeah, who gives a shit? I'm going to keep doing that. Yeah. Like your wants and desires matter so little to me because you're not aware of the, the vast expanse of what the world is that we live in. You don't know about presidents and wars and corner stores because your existence is limited to this potted plant. You don't know about the styles that we go through as humans and the way in which we want to present our plants and... And the history of our entire existence going back the last 40,000 years. (laughs) Dinosaurs. Like dinosaurs. You don't know about the history of the world, of, you know, the origins of species and things like that. So therefore, your desires mean jack shit. Yeah. And so in the very same way that we would have a conversation with an aphid, an abolith has a conversation with your adventuring party. Yeah, that's good. That helps with the perspective of it. Yeah, and I I think that's just an exercise that we need to go through before we decide to take on playing an abolith to our group of players. Or, uh, you know, in the inverse, if your character has some kind of interaction with a great old one. Yeah, you're talking from that perspective of an aphid. Yeah, just like, I sure hope you care. (laughs) Please care. Please care. So some of the questions that might help, again, put you in that mindset of an abolith are things like, how would they view creatures? 
these humanoids that are born to them as useless idiots. They don't have that memory from the beginning of time. They are born into the world needing help. <laughs> and Aboliths are not. How would they view creatures that's knowledge is not going to continue with their species? Like, oh, everything you know now, you're just going to trash? And then further to that, everything that you have learned, you never learn from. Like, your species sucks. Yeah. Because it keeps repeating the same shit every time you go around. Yeah. And it, the go arounds are so short. Yeah. It's like, why are you even bothering? You waste your time. You waste 90 years every single time you are alive. <laughs> and then you you try to verbally communicate a bit of what you learn to the next generation. <laughs> that is so inane. They would remember your evolution, your species evolution as something recent that you should know about too, probably. And they'd be surprised if you didn't. Like you've only known fire for like a blink. Yeah. Like you're just barely figuring out tools. Oh, you've got a pointy stick you're going to try and stab in me? Yeah. <laughs> Good job. You figured out a heat metal. Great. <laughs> Woo. You made a sword. Who gives a shit? Oh, and you've tapped into some basic magic. Hmm. That's more impressive than i would have expected but come still... back when you can speak telepathically to me yeah until then you're just a turd <laughs> <laughs> they would uh, of course view your ambitions as hilariously simple they would know all about your world's history and lore from all the humanoids that they and their ancestors may have consumed that's true yeah they would know more about your own history than you would yeah because if they have like in, in some respects if they have taken over the minds of however many, because they can do three a day. And again, this isn't just that Abolith. This yeah. is all Aboliths. Every single one that's ever existed. Yeah. And they all share that information. So beyond, beyond, like they just, they know secrets about everybody and everything. And they've encountered your ancestors because they've taken over the mind of somebody that came into contact with your great uncle. And they know that you're related to them. Yeah. And they might not, not even view you as a unique example of your species. They'd be like, I've consumed somebody with exactly the same shit that you've got going on. You are so basic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you came into my lair for this magical item. So have dozens of others. And what is this going to even give you? Like, you want some nice shoes? You want some shoes that go fast? <laughs> <laughs> so you can do what die get wrecked are you dead yet how long do you even live <laughs> are you dead yet <laughs> i think uh one thing that came up for me is that aboliths since they they were deposed by gods would have a massive chip on their shoulder for any of these aphid creatures these short-lived dumb idiots that do worship the gods like that would just be a point of pride yeah. to fuck with anything that was like, eh, yeah, sure, I'll amuse myself for a couple of minutes and try and make this person recant their god. Yeah, you put your faith in this stupid asshole that came down and booted me? And that would actually probably be the, one of the few things that an adventurer might have that would actually piss off an abolith. Yeah. is just like, it has a deep-seated hatred for any kind of god so holy symbols and like paladins or clerics like they're a target for an abolith and it knows exactly what god you worship and everything about that god too 
probably again more than you know. Yeah. Oh man, that just keeps getting deeper. <laughs> Maybe one of its ancestors has even encountered that god specifically. Yeah. It like it knew them personally. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it would be fun to have an abolith be critical of all kinds of decisions that your species has made. Like it would say, that was a really dumb idea for you to come out of the ocean and grow legs. <laughs> breathe air like what were you thinking <laughs> like it was my choice <laughs> yeah <laughs> like oh you're such an idiot it's like well i didn't i didn't know i didn't really have a choice in this you've made a lot of poor decisions since then too yeah <laughs> yeah is going back to the net example it's like why did you choose this plant of all plants there's this plant over here you're such an idiot and that's like what is that what are you what talking about yeah, i don't know this there's more than one? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. This planet sucks. Why are you here? <laughs> and so that's all of the kind of logical ways to think about how an abolith would think. And I think it'd be fun to dip into illogical ways that it would think that you wouldn't comprehend why. Like? I, I came across something that I thought was pretty appropriate for this, which is that people are viewed as illogical when they understand something that the person viewing them doesn't. So for ex as a basic example, if we're walking together and I'm walking normally and then I start flailing my limbs, unless you understand the concept of spider webs, mm. I look like I'm off my rocker. Yeah. Like I've just started. <laughs> You're behaving incredibly irrationally. Yeah. With no, yeah, with no idea of what caused that. You know, this is kind of hard to think about as a DM, but what, would they be aware of that's causing them to behave in ways that are just totally weird to the players? Mm. This could result in emotional attachments to things that don't make any sense, like the vibration of movements and sounds. Like they feel really good or bad about certain just things that you're doing. Like you kick a rock and it's like, stop mm. that. Yeah. Somebody else like draws a sword and they say, mm. <laughs> I like the feel. <laughs> Do that again. <laughs> Or you could consider what they can perceive that our human senses can't. So you could even dive into things that they can perceive like quantum mechanics. Maybe they're aware that certain particles behave differently when observed. Mm. And yeah, so... that's influencing their experience of the world. So you come in perceiving things. <laughs> and they're like, stop, <laughs> stop looking at that. Yeah. You're really messing with its composition. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> So just, yeah, just an example of just weird Just really dives. out there kind of stuff, yeah. Or, and again, back to its emotions, it could be fearful of strange things that don't make any sense to you, like sharp angles, and that would only make sense in the context of a story written in the Lovecraftian mythos by an author named Frank Belknap Long, and he wrote about these hounds of Tindalos that came into existence through sharp angles. Like, they entered our existence through sharp angles like doorways? Yeah, basically. It was a little weirder and deeper than that, but that's the essential nature of it. So, you know, all of a sudden, a sharp angle in their lair that you bring into their lair is like, whoa, <laughs> don't bring that near me. Not because I'm afraid you're going to cut me with it, but because I'm afraid of an otherworldly entity that's going to appear through it. So it's like smoothed out the edges of its entire lair. And <laughs> when you bring in a thing with a right angle, it's like, shit. You are walking around with a very dangerous weapon. Cool it. Do you realize this? And then, you know, if it's controlling your mind, 
a weird thing that a party member could do is all of a sudden start filing their stuff down. I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> Just smoothing off all of its <laughs> round, all of its angled edges. Dulling their sword on the rocks. <laughs> Very good. So before you ever get to the point where you're face-to-face, able to jam your pointy swords into the abolith, there would be a lot that you would experience and a lot that it would do to you through its lair. And that all ties into that cosmic horror theme of building the tension. So what are some ways in which we can build the tension before you get there? I think like just as as they are, you can't get close to them without feeling that dread, which is so prevalent in a lot of Lovecraft stories is just that sense of dread. And you can do that with, I think, mindless people in the area. Yeah. People have been subtly tainted. Yeah. Like what happens when an abolith has taken over somebody's mind and then just kind of like because it takes effort to maintain maintain that connection is just like uh, i'm not like i still want to keep that tether there but i'm not actively using this puppet at this time hmm. therefore i think that's where you get into that kind of lo- that lovecrafting horror because a lot of that those stories have these people like i, I very distinctly remember Shadow over Innsmouth. That town was just full of like people that were kind of empty. Yeah. And just off putting. Yeah. They're just off putting. They've got weird behaviors because they're, they're just, they've been puppeted so long. Yeah. That creates dread for sure. You could describe, you know, meeting people in that area with a veneer on them, just a dirty patina because they would care less about maybe cleaning themselves. They might have that, uh, like, a tiredness to them all the time from just being piloted by some other creature, some other entity. Yeah, and maybe their connection to their own bodily needs is lessened. Yeah. Like, they don't sleep on a schedule anymore. They don't do all the things that people should do. Yeah, they sleep in weird places because they're really just kind of shutting down for a little bit. Yeah. They might have... Like, imagine trying to exert control over your own mind. Like, when you're just kind of taking a back seat to everything that's happening, and you're exerting effort constantly to just try and regain control of your mind, or whenever you can, you develop this, like, flop sweat of, (laughs) like, just straining, like, struggling. Mental uh, effort, All the time, yeah. Kind of like the flop sweat we get at the end of an episode in this (laughs) recording chamber (laughs) this warm af recording chamber um you could also have them any humanoids around that area either are worshiping or are being controlled to do things like carving likenesses of the aboleth into idols and Mm. different mediums yeah whispering and muttering things under their breath Things like uh, maybe even pulling some of those quotes right from Lovecraft's books, like, that is not dead which can eternal lie, and in strange eons, even death may die. Ah, yeah, like, even just, like, slipping that in to conversation. Like, after, say you encounter a town near an abolith slayer that has, you know, a lot of, the, the majority, if not all people in that town, serve the abolith. Mm-hmm. And 
all of them are just kind of on autopilot. And so every time they might be having a coherent conversation, but then they just kind of check out and their eyes kind of gloss over and they start muttering things. And you're just like, what is going on with this person? Yeah. And maybe they mutter nonsense, but maybe they mutter something like that. Yeah, because when you when you have someone mutter nonsense, I think you as a DM have to have that nonsense somewhat prepared. Yeah. Otherwise, it's yeah, it comes across poorly. Yeah. But if you walk into an innkeeper and ask for a room and they're like, yes, absolutely. It's this much and this and, and then they just how did that go? Uh, yes, that'll be two copper pieces and that which is not dead can eternal lie. He's like, excuse me, what? <laughs> what the fuck did you just say? Oh, I apologize. We'll have that ready for you in just yeah. a few moments. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like this. <laughs> oh. uh. <laughs> and then you get closer into its lair. The, the Aboleth has a lot of really cool features that they built in to its lair actions that help add to this whole feeling. Totally. So anything within a mile of its lair is slimy and wet yeah it just has this kind of sheen to it yeah that's and it's actually considered rough terrain so you're moving slowly as you get closer to this thing the water is supernaturally fouled if you try to drink any water you're gonna puke like all water yeah so you might your your party might even not realize like you might just be feeling ill just in the general vicinity of a mm, layer. Yeah. You maybe haven't made the full connection to the water, but to say that the specific here, supernaturally fouled water, which means even the water that your party brings in with it. Oh, yeah. That trusted water flask. That's... Your party wouldn't realize why they're sick. They would just start... Like, That's they would just awesome. start barfing. Yeah, I love that. Nobody then, understands why they're just kind of, they feel gross and they feel tired and it's hard to walk, obviously, because mm-hmm. you got this, everything's rough terrain. And yeah, anything that they drink is is now poisoning them. And going back to that community around the Aboleth, you could have them, you've got their skin, which is damp and wet, which is gross. But then if you're observing them doing normal things in their day-to-day routine, like they go to drink water, but they just pour it down their mouth in front instead of drink it yeah because they don't want to get sick but it's like a weird mental thing you know what what image just popped into my head what the mcpoils from always sunny (laughs) they're all just they just behave weirdly they always have this like sheen to them the sweaty they look sweaty drinking milk (laughs) drinking their warm milk gross one of the most powerful lair actions that they've got i think is the the fact that they can make an illusory image within that mile as well of themselves. So they can project themselves in order to communicate with anyone that's getting close to their lair. And that adds a lot of that tension. Like when the first time you think you're encountering the Aboleth, you're not. And if you've got one of those wild cannons in your party, they try to attack and get swallowed by a soupy mess instead. They would suss you out before you even got a chance. Yeah. Like they would give you the option to attack it, to sense your intentions. And more to that fact, why would they even leave their true lair? Like, they would make a decoy lair, Mm. and they could, well, hell, they could mind control an octopus and put a, a, 
an illusory image over top of that octopus and put it in a place that your party might think is their lair. Yeah. But their lair might be something totally different. Like, we would anticipate something gross and slimy and dank, but maybe they actually have an immaculately kept true lair, but they just know that you're an idiot and you think lesser of them. So I'm going to put them in a dark, deep cave, and I'm going to put an octopus in a pool, and they can go ahead and they can attack that because they think it's me. They can get and their I'm going to have a conversation with them. Yeah, I'll talk to them through that when they decide to go crazy like these adventurers always do. They'll they, kill it, they'll think they won, and they'll wander back to die yeah. wherever they go. Or I'll mind control them while they do that and have them just kill themselves. Yeah. Kill each other. And not know where to go next. Like, that's such a good false victory oh. to throw at your party. And what would they do? Like, what would their lair become after eons of these idiot adventurers coming to try <laughs> to kill them? They've been having these humanoids serve them for so long that their layers would be super detailed and well thought out. So whatever goals they have, they could have created a model of whatever world or city the plot is involved in down to the last detail, down to humanoids. Like they've just got people carving it for their entire lifetimes. Man, that's... That'd be kind of cool for the players to stumble across and even learn something from. And that's that sense of dread. Yeah. Maybe when they find models of themselves. Yeah. They're like, oh, shit. It knows. It knows. We never had a chance. <laughs> we thought we were clever. It could have a massive chamber, massive, of its expired humanoids that it's had serve it. Oh, no. Almost like organized, though. Like some kind of matrix chamber. Or like uh, almost as a joke have them set up in a way that is like they're doing the stuff that dumb humans do. Like when you <laughs> when you pose teddy bears on your bed oh, and oh. they're just like, yeah, this is this is what they do. This is like kind of decoration. Wow. So just like all these scenes that go back for as far as you want. Yeah. Like you could have this room be carved out over eons. They collect them. And then yeah, you could walk miles through these scenes of humanoids posed like we do with you know posable action miniatures (laughs) and play games oh no (laughs) that's good Uh, aside from that or in concert with that it could have grisly examinations of different people maybe it's annotated them for its their strengths and weaknesses so they know what to do with with each you know a dragonborn does this an elf does that it could collect those just as a hobby like, sure, an Aboleth has plans, but that's not all-consuming. That's not what it does with its every limitless day. <laughs> and every one of these hobbies is the result of what seems like hundreds of years of effort to I, someone that stumbles across it. Yeah, I collect every creature known to man, and I dissect... Like, I collect ten of each one, and I dissect nine of them to understand them and study them. And the, the last one I just keep alive as a as a souvenir. Yeah. Or even don't keep alive, but keep breeding. Like an Aboleth might be really into animal husbandry and have a collection. Like it understands evolution in a way that we don't. Mm. Therefore, it just plays around with breeding, like selective breeding amongst animals. So you have the wildest animals 
that have existed outside of any kind of ecosystem that your characters have ever seen before yeah. in their lives. That's where you can throw in all of the other aberrations because it's created them from... Oh, shit. <laughs> your party stumbles up, uh, upon a collection of, of, a, of 100 different aberrations, but you just flip through the monster manual and find other stuff. Yeah. Damn it. That's upsetting. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't know. I think we've pretty well flogged that one. Yeah. I'm pretty satisfied. I got that flop sweat going. So we've been talking about a lot of really dark and disturbing stuff, and it even messes with us sometimes, and as much as we like it for a lot of our games, some games don't run that way, and some games you want to be light. And I think Aboliths can still serve that purpose just with a different perspective. Yeah, it's heavy stuff that we've been kind of talking about. We we tend to take, or I tend to take, a much more dark fantasy approach to things. You take a much more light, funny, enjoyable (laughs) sometimes (laughs) approach. And one of my favorite works of fiction is Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams. And that's exactly the opposite side of the exact same coin where Lovecraft did cosmic horror, you're talking about cosmic humor. Yeah, and because it's talking about the vastness and our insignificance, but in a way that's fun and light and silly. Yeah. I don't know, any uh, any favorite examples of kind of that cosmic humor? Well, there's, a, there's one character that I think really exemplifies it well. It's a robot that is really bummed out about its own existence, and it just lives forever through these stories. But an example of... You're talking about Marvin. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And Marvin's been given human personality, and it didn't really work out that well. So he says things like, You may not instantly see why I bring the subject up, but that is because my mind works so phenomenally fast. And I am at a rough estimate 30 billion times more intelligent than you. Let me give you an example. Think of a number. Any number. Five. Wrong. You see? (laughs) (laughs) he's just very elite and very bummed out about everything yeah some of the concepts from that book apply to abolith's mentality as well like for instance on the planet earth man has always assumed that he was much more intelligent than dolphins because he had achieved so much the wheel new york wars and so on whilst all the dolphins had ever done was muck about in the water having a good time but conversely the dolphins had always believed that they were far more intelligent than man For exactly the same reasons. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think you can still use cosmic humor with an abolith in just a... It has all the same viewpoints, but instead of seeing us as inferior and and just dumb, it's like, it's humorous, like, we're like puppies. Yeah, it's curious, and it's, it's funny in how much it doesn't understand about us. Yeah, so like play on the differences and just poke fun at all of the things that we do instead of just like pitying us and like wanting to manipulate like we've been talking about. Instead, it's just has the, like you said, that kind of innocent curiosity or just not a curiosity, but an amusement over everything that we do. Why do you wear shoes in such a way? (laughs) It's just so silly. Like why wouldn't, there's a million better ways that you could do everything that you're doing but you're just so simple and pea-brained and that's fine and maybe it's probing your mind to get things out of you that it just throws in front of you to see what you do like here's 
a bunch of chocolate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just experimenting on you <laughs> just to see what you would do. Yeah. It's just like, oh, I'm kind of curious about your... And it would poke fun at literally everything that your character holds dear from religion to birthdays to like all of it would just seem so nonsensical yeah i I love it i love a whimsical abolith is it your birthday yet no and then like two minutes later in the conversation is it your birthday yet (laughs) i don't really understand this time thing (laughs) i don't know when do you celebrate this thing this nonsense this marking of an occasion that isn't an occasion because it happens literally billions of times in a span of what seems to me like a, a few minutes. All kinds of, yeah, all kinds of traditions. Any tradition Any that tradition your character is has, goofy. Just, just make fun of it. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So I guess just to summarize, yeah, like going back to the my point from the very beginning, I tried to use an avalith as just a stat block. And they really, they, they're not meant for that. Don't throw them in as necessarily just a monster because they're a CR 10 and any good party, if you get into a slap fight with an Aboleth, will eventually win and probably not pose that big of a threat. But when you really sit down and consider them, consider their motivations, they're far more adept at being used as a story piece, like a set piece rather than as a monster to conquer. And the complexity and difficulty of facing an Aboleth, like they can be the most powerful creature in the game if you play them in that way. Yeah, absolutely. Like you want the big bad that has a a method to interacting and undermining and utterly destroying a party. That's the Aboleth. Yeah. And even if the party manages to kill it, It'll be back. It is unending. <laughs> I am immortal. <laughs> All right. So I think that about wraps it up. We should probably say our thank yous to Tabletop Audio for all of the music and the sounds that you heard in this episode. Thank you to our patrons for continuing to support us. My goodness. Yes. Thank you very much. You can follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Reddit, and Discord hook a and d chance and thanks for listening and play Play great great games. games